This is the Working Drummer Podcast. Working Drummer Podcast. Featuring ground level pros from all styles and regions. Real drummers with real stories about making a living in music. Hey everyone, welcome to Working Drummer Podcast. I'm Zach Albetta, and it's that time once again to have our yearly chat with our buddy Nick Ruffini of Drummer's Resource. We love getting Nick's perspective on what's happening in the drum world, in the podcast world, the media world. He's always got his finger on all those pulses. And in this one, as usual, we get into what each of us are wrestling with or being inspired by behind the drums in our careers and in our lives. This episode is sponsored by Sonatus USA. Get it right at the source is the most common advice we hear about recording drums. Tuning and mic placement are a great place to start, but what shouldn't be overlooked is the space you're playing in. The time and energy it takes to work up and record a great performance shouldn't be wasted in a sonically bad environment. Investing in a proper blend of absorption, diffusion, and bass traps will improve the quality of your recordings just as much as the investments you make in your playing instruments and recording equipment. Whether you're tracking, rehearsing, mixing, or just practicing, having a great sounding room is essential. Sonatus USA provides the products and consultation to get your drums sounding the best they can in whatever space you're working with. Check them out at sonatususa.com. That's S-O-N-I-T-U-S-U-S-A.com. And you can also hear acoustician Anthony Grimani of Sonatus talking with Matthew Krauss about all things sound treatment in episodes 306, 308, and 313. We would appreciate your support on Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash working drummer and a donation in any amount gets you access to exclusive content from our former guests. Think of this as professional development for drummers, all useful and actionable lessons for the working pro. We're populating new content regularly and as little as $1 a month gets you access to all of it. If Patreon isn't your thing, you can also make a one-time donation through PayPal. There are links for both on our homepage at workingdrummer.net. While you're there, you can learn more about this episode and check out our archive of over 300 episodes. Also, please subscribe to Working Drummer Podcast on your platform of choice. We're available on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and YouTube. And be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Lastly, however you listen, please leave us a rating and review. This helps new listeners find us. So the last time we talked with Nick was spring of 2020, just as the pandemic was hitting full swing and everything was starting to shut down. So it was good to have this chat with him as things are opening back up and we all have different perspectives on how we want to move forward, as I'm sure is the case for most of you. So here we go. Hope you dig Nick Ruffini. Hey, I have this mug. It's It says Wicked Pissa on it. What does that mean? <laughs> you don't know what that I means? I like it. I, I, you know what? I honestly don't. It was a gift from a friend of mine, a friend of, of Liz's that Liz, lives in um, Boston. Doesn't that, yeah, that mean it's, it's like a really good... Go ahead, you, Zach. Uh, you. I, I thought it was a bummer. I thought a pisser was a bummer. And mm. and wicked means like a, 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 a huge bummer. I thought of, I thought if, like if you go out and get pissed, then you go out and get drunk. So I That's thought wicked pisser was maybe like a like a bender kind of thing maybe wicked pissa would be or, like a or really is bad. It, or is it a, or is a wicked pissa a, a uh this is probably going to get us into trouble by the way um, <laughs> I, don't, I don't think any of this is right all right let me make sure it's recording <laughs> hang on uh it's outstanding or awesome okay. is what it means oh my god that took the steam right out of it yeah. it uh. means outstanding or awesome <laughs> look it up 
<laughs> yeah, you you might you might as well have been Alexa right then, as my sister calls it, the Wonder Killer. She's like, "Oh, you're going on Google, the Wonder Killer." <laughs> The Wonder Killer. That's great. <laughs> Dude, that's that's going to be a new platform right there. Yeah. Oh, man. I'm stealing that from your sister. That's great. Um, well, it, you, uh, I mean, before we kind of got the recording together, I, that was kind of a natural segue because, uh, uh, Nick, it would be cool to kind of talk about what it is you're doing and like how you've expanded things uh in your world because we were talking about uh just the world of podcasting how it's grown so much since we started Mm -hmm. and now we're getting people that are friends and you know people we work with and saying hey i want to start a podcast can we meet for coffee and talk and i want to pick your brain about what you're doing how you've done it and how much it's changed there's some platforms out there where all you need is just an idea and you get on there and they do everything for you. And I've got a couple of friends that have done that. I'm not super mm-hmm. thrilled about that. That seems like the uh, garage band of podcasting. It, it's, right. it's, uh, it, it doesn't give you a lot of freedom to be creative, but it gives a platform for people that aren't super serious about it, um, which is great. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's really cool. So like in the music community and the drum community, there's been a lot of different types of podcasting podcasts that have come out. And, uh, I think it's really fun cause I feel like it's, it's elevated with the community has grown. Yeah. It's, it's get, it's getting more eyes and ears on, uh, our podcasts, uh, because people are like, Oh, well, I didn't even know what this was and I can listen to it on my phone. You know, people are still discovering it, but right. it's not, it's not a foreign term anymore. You know, you don't have people saying what what's a podcast. So that that's less and less of an issue, which benefits all of us. So mm-hmm. how has that affected? How has that you know changed for you? And and what how have you reacted to that? Yeah, well, to your point, what you said earlier about how now there's all. I mean, when I started Drummers Resource, I don't know if there was another drumming podcast out there. There may have been one, mm-hmm. um, and. Now, you know, like we we were producing podcasts for other people. We were producing uh, LPs podcast. They went on. They're on hiatus right now, but we're producing LPs podcast. And people were like, doesn't that doesn't that serve as like competition for for drummers resource? And I'm I, the way that I look at it, I say, no, the more podcasts that are out there about drumming or music or any the better. Like you, you like you had just yeah. said, sort of, you know, the tide rises all boats. So um, but how it's how it's changed over the years when I first started, I mean, I, I made my first podcast in 2007 wow. and we, we were on tour and our manager was like, you should do this thing called a podcast. I knew nothing about it. I was like, how, I don't know where it goes, how to record it, how people get it. None of that. Uh, but then even when I started drummers resource in 2013, I would talk to people, you know, you're at a wedding or you're at a party or something. And it's like, what are you doing? And you're like, Oh, I run this podcast. And it's kind of like, Oh, okay. So you're broken. You live in your, you know, in your parents' basement kind of thing. And you're like, shut up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I live no, above I, my parents' restaurant. Okay. Yeah, yeah, no, I don't. Uh, but, <laughs> uh, that hurts. so how, how it's changed now, if, and, and not that I, it's not necessarily about public perception, but it's just interesting how how the public perception has changed about them. So now when you go somewhere and it's like, what do you do? And I'm like, oh, I own a, a podcast production company. People are like, oh, yeah, that's really yeah. cool. So mm-hmm. and so one on one side, it's it's becoming more and more of an of an accepted medium. And I would say it's it's arrived. The advertising dollars haven't gotten there yet, but it's arrived in terms of like 
major, major companies, you know, all of the movie studios and all that, they're all making podcasts now, celebrities, yep. athletes, all of that kind of stuff, which is great. But I also think that podcasting did the same thing that the internet did, or I should say what YouTube did for aspiring TV writers or, or directors and things like that too, is it leveled the playing field and you could just put your stuff out there. So sure. Warner brothers can put out a new podcast tomorrow with Justin Timberlake or someone, I don't know, I'm just naming names here, but I can start one tomorrow as well and be on the same platform as them. And I, and realistically can compete with them yeah. uh, on the same platform. So before you know, if you wanted to start a television show, you had to get it approved by ABC or whoever, and the gatekeepers had to let you in, and then you get put on ABC. Now, you can just put a television show on YouTube, and if it's good, it'll it'll rise to the top. So I think that that's what's really changed is the public perception of it, the dollars that are going into it, um, and the understanding that this is a medium that that people want. And I think over the over the next couple of years, you're going to see a lot more money getting thrown at it uh, which is always good like it, it it doesn't always come down to the money but like at some point you have to think about the economics of of something that you're building so i mean that's how i've seen it change over the years now everyone is talking about podcasting and you know 10 years ago it was sort of like i don't know it was it was a it was a niche crowd that listened to you know npr or 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 instead of reading a lot of books they were listening to a lot of podcasts so I, I want to get Nick's take on this. I, I, I want to push back a little bit on the idea that if it's good, it will rise to the top, like on mm -hmm. YouTube or in a podcast or whatever. Um, because in a, in a sense, it, it is democratized and the, the playing field is leveled. But I feel like there's a different gatekeeper now. Um, and the gatekeeper is is algorithms, basically. Like before, you had to get the blessings of some suits. Um, but now you either have to... Uh, you know, catch lightning in a bottle algorithm wise, or like really know how to work the algorithms on whatever platform you're on. Um, I, I disagree with that. So my take is that I don't think that anyone should be trying to game the algorithm at all. You're mm -hmm. on a platform that was free for a long time and has reduced, whether it be Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, it doesn't matter, which is reduced how much organic traffic you get or how, how many people see your posts organically. Uh, and then you have to, you have to pay for it. You have to, you have to pay for advertising, but it's no different than if you opened up a brick and mortar store, you have to, you have to have marketing, you have to have advertising. So you have to, you can't like trying to gain the algorithm. What happens is you're going to start creating content that doesn't serve your audience. Well, all it does is game the algorithm. And right. it's great for the algorithm, horrible for your audience. Right. So, it kind of makes me think about, the, the for, for an example, years ago when we were thinking, how do we get more followers on Facebook? This is probably five years ago. I'm like, hey, maybe we could buy some sort of boost in followers. And it, it just kind of didn't work. Like we... We grew, I don't know how many thousands of followers, but it was all these really weird It's all bots. People. It was, yeah. It, yeah and yeah. I'm like, that That was, I don't know, that that wasn't good at all. That was, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, all these people that, that were obviously not real Facebook people and certainly not right. people interested in what we were doing. And so that, again, that maybe is what you're talking about. Like that we're trying to... 
use the algorithms to to grow our followers as opposed to just the content. Yeah, I mean, itself. there's a lot of people who are like they have these they have groups where anytime they have 50 people that are in a group, so anytime you post something on Instagram, those 50 people in the group go and like your post and comment on it that open. So the the how the algorithm works, and I'm sure that you guys have done some research on this a little bit, but but oh, not yeah, we're really. All over, we're all over it, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just in general. So like the way that the algorithm works, this is a very, very simplified version of it. But you po- you post something and Facebook or let's say Instagram, because Instagram is sort of the platform now. Uh, Instagram says, okay, we're going to let 3% of your audience see this. And if those 3% who see it, comment on it, like it, then Instagram says, oh, this is a post that seems to be a good post. So it opens up that fire hose a little bit more and it says, we'll serve it to 8% of your people. Mm. And then if more people are, and then once it opens up, if more people are liking it and more people are commenting, Instagram says, oh, this post must be a really good post. So they open up it a little bit more and you open up a little bit more. That's why once in a while you'll put a post up and it gets, you know, it gets 950 comments or whatever and all these likes and all that. It's, it's, it's a gradual sort of step up process. And what everyone tries to do is they try to gain the system to get more people to like, that's why you always see like, People say comment below if, you know, let us know what you're thinking about this or tag someone who uh, who would like to see this post or whatever. That's so that more people are interacting with that specific post so that Instagram thinks that it's good content and then opens up the fire hose a little bit more for more people to see. Mm. The, the problem with that approach, if it's really good content and it's really resonating with your audience and people are commenting on it and liking it and sharing it. That's great. Then you're doing your job. You're putting out good content. But if you're putting out content, like a lot of people will put out a post and and purposely misspell a word in the post so that everyone comments in the comment section and says, like, this is how you spell the word or they'll make a mistake in the post. And that's to gain the algorithm so that more people will comment on it. It'll open up the fire hose a little bit more. But at the end of the day, is that good content for your audience? And the answer is yeah. no. Yeah. So it turns in, it's just a vanity metric of, and it, it, you know, people are doing it for the likes and the comments to make themselves feel better, but it's not really driving. It's not in driving engagement and, and you're real, you're not. And if you're a business, like even like Zach and I were talking about this the other day on Instagram, where, uh, where I was saying that, like, you know, if you're, if, if you own a business, your job is to make your employees uh, happy, not your customers, because happy employees make happy customers. And so we started talking about band leaders and things like that. So like, I think that, that you're a business owner, whether you're, you know, you're a solo artist or you're this or you're that. So Mm -hmm. at the end of the day, like your Instagram or your Facebook or whatever you're putting out there, your main goal should be to drive your business outcomes. Whatever those are, whether it be getting more gigs, getting a record deal, selling a new selling a record, getting more people to listen to your podcast, like those are your business outcomes. That's what I think that that your social media profile should be doing while creating awesome content for your followers. And and as far as like algorithms, there are like subtle things, little tweaks that you can make that will get more people to interact. Like for example, right. I, I stumbled across, you know, how many people reacted to some Instagram posts that I have personally put on my own profile. I was like, oh, this is interesting. And then I started to kind of see 
of the po- of the posts that got the most interaction and most watches, what was the common thread between them mm-hmm. all? And uh, it might have been, and I'm trying to remember exactly what it was, but it was uh, maybe the camera angle was the same. You know, there was some lighting, there was some th- certain things about it, and then there was a couple posts that I did. Uh, that didn't get a lot of likes or didn't get a lot of interaction with, and I'm like, well, what? What's the common thread there? And then, and then trying to like, okay, this works. That you know, because I don't post a lot personally, uh, mm-hmm. and you know, it's funny because we we all have guests that either are like way on top of it, you know, and they do really great co- content, and some people that are great musicians and have a lot of information to contribute to our podcasts, but um, they don't post a lot. And they're always like, oh, I need to do more. I need to do more. Right. And sometimes you're like, no, you don't. You know, it's well, well maybe you do, <laughs> or we want to see it, you know? Um, so I don't, my point is if I'm going to finally get around to post some shit personally, I, I want people to see it. It's, it's like, you know what I mean? Yeah. So I, I just I want it to be worth my time, I guess is what I'm saying for somebody that doesn't post a lot. If that's your personality. I think if you want people to see it and you don't post a lot and it's really not something that you're really dedicated to doing, mm-hmm. then you should put you should put money behind it. What do you mean? Hmm. You should you should boost your post or or you should be running ad campaigns. And no one wants mm-hmm. to hear that because they're like, oh, this should be free. But it's like this is a they're a business and yeah, yeah. we're we're sort of like hey we should be able to use this this product for free but like you know i say and it's, it's been said numerous times before that like if you're using a service that's free you're not the customer you're the product <laughs> yeah so yeah but so their job is not to make it free for everyone their job is to generate revenue and if you want more people this is how they work. They start these platforms. They have they the engagement levels are really really high, and it's sort of like wide open, and everyone sees your stuff. They get everyone addicted to the platform, and then they pull back the organic reach. So now they're like, oh, you want people to see? Yeah, like I, there's I have thirty thousand followers on Facebook, and I if I post something on Facebook, literally the other day I posted something, and nineteen people saw it. So <laughs> yeah, that's weird. <laughs> oh my but, god! But if you pay for it then yeah. it works. And I, oh, and I think God. like a, not to bogart this conversation, but I think that one thing about uh, how to determine what you're putting money behind and stuff like that, put your stuff out there, whatever is resonating, which means whichever is getting more likes, more comments, stuff like that, then put dollars behind that stuff. So mm-hmm. put it out there organically, see what happens, then put some dollars behind it. And if it does well, put a little bit more money behind it. Put, and I'm not saying a lot of money, I'm saying you know, 10 bucks. Or something mm-hmm. just to boost yeah, it for sure. see if it resonates a little bit more if it does okay put a little bit more money behind it and then look at that post and say okay what was it about that post that did really well let me try to duplicate that yeah 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 no it's really interesting and and, and it's it's just kind of like well how much do i want to invest in this am i what kind of work am i trying to you know where am i trying to expand my workload in in my, in my playing, you know? Well, and that's, right. that's the other thing. Like you got to kind of triangulate, um, you know, the, uh, the, the algorithms, the advertising, what you're spending money on, blah, blah, blah. But then you got to think about like who, you know, I want as many people as possible to see this, but ultimately 
what kind of people do I want to see this? Yes. Like, is, yeah. it, is it is it fellow drummers? Is it producers? Is it band leaders? Um, you know, like, or is it is it random uh, normies who might want to take drum lessons? Like, uh, you know, it's it's hard to know how to. Uh, well, I mean, it's not it's not hard to know what you want to target. Um, I guess it's hard to know how to do that. Well, know, that's the difference between too wide a net. That's the difference between boosting a post and, and running an ad campaign, though. And we don't have to get into the weeds about this. But if you boost a post, that's you're just boosting it to the people who already follow your page. Right. If you're running an ad campaign, then you can specify exactly who you want to see it, where like what interest they have, where they live, all that kind of stuff. No, that's mm-hmm. great. That's great because I don't necessarily am trying to like reach drummers. I'm trying to reach songwriters. So yep. if, if a specific thing for me, exa- as an example, is like, I would like to do more recording for singer-songwriters for mm-hmm. my home studio. I don't need to send stuff to band leaders. I've been very fortunate that this year is starting to grow into enough live work for me. I feel very extremely blessed. Uh, but But again, people are trying to make up from last year, and I'm just the benefactor of it. But what right. I would like to do over time is shift from live to being here now. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's, that's what that, you know, when you're saying live, are you, uh, are you back on the road or are you staying yeah. local? Yeah. Both. Yeah. Both. I mean, yeah, it's because it's I know a, for a while you were like, I want to get off the road. Well, it, because the, the, what was keeping me busy full time was a band that was gone 300 days a week, uh, 300, 300 days a right. year. Uh, so I'm off the road, that type of thing. But like this week, I'm I'm in Kentucky playing Friday. I'm in Nashville Sunday. Next week, I'm in Asheville. And then I'm back. And then like, I'm so it's a combination of things. So I am back out on the road, quote unquote. But uh, the, it, we're talking like two, three days at a time. You know, and then out to you know, I'm flying to San Diego next next month. Um, mm-hmm. But those are rare. And there's another somebody offered me another San Diego thing, and I was like, "No, that's it. I don't want to." I, and yeah. I have the choices. So, but that's you know, that's a that's a different thing. Nashville, whew, Nashville has handled <laughs> has handled the pandemic um, a lot differently than LA, for example, has. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and like before before yeah. we dive into the the whole pandemic thing, um, the, what you were talking about wanting to sort of transition from really heavy live to spending more time at home doing stuff in the studio, I have you know the same goal. Um, and what I'm realizing is like, you know, we, we just had this conversation about how to maximize your, uh, your reach on Instagram or whatever, and how that can, can garner some work. But what I'm realizing is that I think the, the work that I'm really going to care about and that's going to be sustainable, um, is going to come from the, the in-person relationships that I already have and the ones that I, that I cultivate, um, you know, we did this whole series of, of, uh, like episodes and, um, little talks with, uh, uh, air gigs with David Blacker from mm-hmm. air gigs. And, um, you know, I've, I've done a bunch of air gigs jobs. Matt has done a bunch of air gigs jobs and it's a great platform, um, to just record at home and make some money. But what I'm realizing about it is that, um, 
it's it's that I think for me at least is still going to be ancillary. Like the the air gigs hustle is still going to be secondary to uh, who do I want to invest in in terms of like creating a relationship with them and working with them a lot. And I've been right. in that mindset, you know, for live playing for my whole career. Yeah. Um, but now I'm starting to think about that. Like how can I how can I translate that strategy? into the studio and air gigs will always be there. You know, I'll get, I'll get offers and people hit me up that I've never met. Um, but I think I still want to prioritize like the actual in-person humans in my life that I want to make music with. Mm -hmm. So so to add to that, Zach, I mean, it's the same for me Uh, air gigs and I, I want to invest more into that, but the work that I've gotten most of consistently has been through personal relationships that have yep. that have come from the live work that I've done, and then somebody's like, "Hey, man, I run a studio. What are you doing?" And then, "Hey, I know a producer that's working out of his home," and then that has turned into some other things. So that's that for sure has been has created more long term things. But uh, just to interject uh, alongside this, uh, um, Nick, I know you interviewed Mark Stepro a couple mm-hmm. years ago, and I had him on. Uh, last week, and he he was amazing, man. He's great. Like, the He's episode awesome. turned out like two hours long, and there was so much. Like I can quote so many things from him. It, he was he was amazing. Um, but <laughs> he mentioned he goes, yeah, the whole the whole home recording thing is really cool. But when I was like fourteen years old, I didn't say to myself, man, when I grow up, I want to send wave files. Uh, over you know, I want to record. Wait, <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, I, I'm yeah. I, I'm butchering the quote, but I was like, oh my god, yes, that's amazing. Now I do like to record from home. I do like the the, the comfort of being here and whatever. But but yeah, we did not get into music just to box ourselves in. I mean, it is right. about a social interaction and creativity. There's pros and cons. Uh, it, it, just to tie this idea up, uh, talking with my friend Mike Jackson, who's helped me get my home studio up, and 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 uh, I said, you know, it's so funny because we've dreamed about this since we were kids, and now I finally got more gear than I could have ever imagined when I was 15, 16 years old, and I'm like, huh, okay, uh, now what? <laughs> you know, it, it's right. it's really cool, and it's nice to work this way. Uh, but it's not as exciting as I thought it would be, yeah. <laughs> which is cool, which is fine because that's not what music is. Well, well I find it in more, my opinion. I find it more exciting. I mean, d- definitely, like w- what what Mark Stepro said uh, cracked me up and and resonated with me too. But it it also made me realize that like even if I'm home alone, if I'm isolated here, you know, making drum tracks and sending them off, that process is. Uh, more enjoyable if I'm sending it to someone that I have a relationship with, who is a friend of mine, who I've played with live, who I love and want to play with for the rest of my life, you know, like sending it off to a stranger whose song may or may not be dog shit. uh, You know, that's like, that's a paycheck. It's, it's just kind of a transaction and that's fine. Um, And, you know, obviously being in the room with the people you love, whether it's recording or playing live, like that's plan A. That's why we all do this. Um, But, you know, uh, translating those relationships that you already have 
Um, you know, if I'm home here and I've got the sound of someone that I fucking love in my ears, you know, that's that's not bad. Yeah. No, I agree. I agree. I you know, it's interesting to me that and we've talked about this before about the having control over over your career or at least having uh, you know, being able to make decisions and saying, okay, I don't want to do this gig or I don't want to do this thing or I do want to do this thing. And and there's, I think there's a couple of different people. There's the people that are like, it doesn't matter to me. I'll play any gig, anywhere, anytime. I don't care who it's with. It doesn't matter. As long as I'm playing drums, I'm happy. And then the other side is, I just want to play with people that I like and, you know, and I don't need to take every gig. And then there's the music sort of, that I like. And music that I like. And then there's sort of people in the middle who are like, I don't really want to play these gigs, but I have to because I need the money and and that's just my livelihood. And I wonder where I wonder where most people are falling with home studios and stuff like that. Like for me, I have zero desire to have a drum room and record tracks for people. The flip mm-hmm. side of that is I absolutely love being in the studio and could I, like I, I'm a studio rat. I could live in the studio <laughs> and but I want to be in there with other people. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, and like I don't maybe I mean, I don't know. Maybe I'm just saying it because I don't have a drum room and no one's calling me and asking me to play. On track, <laughs> right? um, uh, but I'm just I, it's anyway. never even like what's that? <laughs> I didn't want to anyway. Yeah. I, but I've never <laughs> even thought like I want to I want to a drum room that I can record drums in for myself or, you know, just have like a place that I can set up my podcast studio and all that. But like, I've never thought, yeah. And then I can go out and, and do drum tracks and everything. But the beauty of it is that's, that's my prerogative. But how many people do you think are out there that are setting up drum rooms that are like, well, I don't really know what else to do. So I guess I'm going to set up my drum room and try to do drum tracks, even though I don't really want to, because, that's all I know. I think it's a lot after 2020 because you saw a lot of people scramble and like everybody's talking about, I'm building my home studio. I'm, I'm, I'm getting some new gear. I'm updating things or I'm starting from scratch. And what happens is because everyone knows what everyone is doing because of social media and everything like that, there's this pressure maybe subconsciously that, oh, this is what you do now. Right. And so I think a lot of people forget to ask themselves what it is, what, what do you want? What is, right. what it is? And so, and I've been guilty of that for sure. And I think what I'm finding is, is I really do enjoy this process and I want this to be a part of what I do. Mm-hmm. But um, again, like I mentioned to Mike, it's like when we were kids, the idea of having all this recording gear and being able to do it from home seemed like a dream, like the <laughs> ultimate well, yeah, dream. yeah. And now you're doing it, and you're like, "Huh, I guess it's okay. It's pretty cool." <laughs> but so, so yeah. To your point, I think 2020 has created some created an environment where people have had to ask themselves some tough questions mm-hmm. about what they're doing. And uh, and and to your point, a lot of people and and I fall into this category that where I was like, "I don't care what I do as long as I'm playing drums, I'm happy." Well, 2020 made me think, okay, no, seriously, what do you want to do? Because you never know, the rug could be pulled out from under you. And how are you spending your career and your time and your energy?
I'll ask both of you guys this. How do you how do you feel like you perform in the studio by yourself versus live or with you know with other people in the studio? Um, um Zach, Zach, you want to answer this? Yeah, like it's it's been educational for me because, you know, basically the the last year plus uh has has been my time to get this home tracking thing going. Um and in addition to the tech learning curve, um, I, I really found out some things about my own playing um, that were, uh, you know, really not working in this room. Like if I was mm. in, <laughs> if I was in. Capital- yeah, I didn't want to say anything, but now that you brought it up. <laughs> 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 Nick's like scrolling my Instagram, like eh, missed the mark on mm. that one. Uh, mm. No, like just in that. terms of, um, <laughs> it's it's been weird because like the the first the first part of my career was just all jazz, right? It was all like touch mm. and and playing quiet and all this. And then when I moved to Atlanta, especially, I had to muscle up and play in funk bands and blues bands and top forty and all that. Um, and then. COVID hit and I brought my, you know, newly found muscles into my little tiny room here. And it was like, holy shit, I'm just blowing the roof off this place. Um, Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. So I've had to, I've had to like, uh, regress, you know, back to, uh, the, the lighter player that I used to be, at least as far as this room is concerned. Um, Did it almost like you felt like like you were recording like you were playing live, but yes. you're not really playing yes. live? If I was in yeah. Capital Room B, it would have sounded great. But right. <laughs> in, right. you know, in this bedroom here, it's too much. Um, and we talked with a lot of guys um, over the last year, uh, like uh, Jordan Rose and uh, Matt, who is the guy you interviewed uh, that has the studio in Nashville, um, who talked about... Uh, you know, it's like setting up a 57 as a room mic. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Grady. Um, Grady Saxman. Grady Saxman. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, like talking to all these guys, they were like, if you're in a small room, like if you play loud, it's going to cause phase issues. Your drums are going to sound tiny and thin instead of huge and fat. Um, mm-hmm. So it's been this process for me of of like finding that lighter touch again, but also cleaning up my ideas. Um because in live playing, you know, it's, it's in the moment and you can, you know, we've, we've all done it where we've just sort of like, you know, plowed through some kind of mindless fill that didn't really need to be there or played ghost notes on the snare that didn't really need to be there. So like, I've been listening back to my playing, um, just realizing how much of it is, is not always, uh, necessary. And in fact, working against, um, you know, the clarity of the song and telling the story of the music. And, um, so yeah, it's, it's just kind of like, uh, my, my playing in this room has gotten smaller, like simpler Hmm. ideas, lighter touch, uh, uh, just more clarity all around. Um, and now that things are opening back up, I'm going back out and it's like, okay, time to play big and stupid again. Um, right. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, that's, that's what, uh, you know, the, the recording, that's what learning about recording has sort of done and is still doing to my, to my playing. Yeah. 
And I, I, I think it's interesting and I, I haven't done this, but I know that, you know, going into record a record or something, you put you're playing under a microscope for whatever, a week or two weeks or however long you're in the studio. But to do to be doing it every day, you're sort of you're putting your playing under a microscope every single day. And you're like, oh, I never realized I do this or I never realized, you know, um, I like feather the bass drum when I don't even mean to. Right. It's mm-hmm. just a, you know, and that and the mics are picking that stuff up. Yeah. You know? oh, yeah. And, and Jesus, talk about tuning like this. This past year has upped my tuning game so much and it still has a long way to go. But like. it's made me realize like I didn't know jack shit about tuning before I was just trying to make my drums like sound big and and project as much as possible for most live situations and I got in here and like what sounds good to my ears and feels good under my hands the mics are like nope (laughs) Um, yeah so I'm horrible that's like I'm so bad at it yeah we we talked to we talked to people and you, or or we know people you know so near Z is an example you know somebody mm-hmm. that's in the studio all the time and knows what he's playing and how the microphone is picking it up we now have the opportunity to try and simulate that experience by having the recording technology. Now, here's the thing, we've had it for many years now, but a lot of us haven't put it to practice. So one thing that I had a chance to record eight songs in a studio with other musicians uh, maybe a month ago for the first time in over a year while I was at home recording a lot and learning a lot just the way the same that Zach has. So I felt like I was able to go in with a little bit more understanding of what I was going to be how the microphones were going to be translating. Now, that being said, it was a great studio, professional engineer. The drum sounded amazing. I almost could do no wrong, but at the same time, here's the big difference. At home, I could do nine takes and pick the best of what I want and take my time, and there's no really time limit. Here, everyone's waiting on me to get it right, and and we're doing eight songs in one day, and it was like... Um, you know, you get maybe two takes, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and and uh, so that's something that, as much as I have been recording from home, uh, that's not an ex- you don't put the pressure. I didn't have that pressure on myself at home, and so that's the biggest challenge for me is how much I'm charging to record from home. Is uh, so far, my the time that it takes me to record, make sure I've got the right track, maybe do an edit here or there, and mix it down and send it for review, takes a lot fucking longer than when you're in a studio with a bunch of people, and all you have to do is perform, and they're right. like, yeah, that's it, moving on, and you <laughs> get paid. So yeah. that's the biggest challenge, is like, okay, what's my time cost situation, and, well, and I, making I talk- sure that I'm being aware of that. I talked to uh, Victor and Drizzo about this and, mm-hmm. and and I don't know why it like it never hit me before, but I said to him, well, not only do you have to learn, not only do you have to play well in the, in your own studio, but you also need to now be an engineer and you have to yeah. learn how to be an engineer. That's a whole other skill set. Not yeah. only do you learn, have to learn how to be an engineer now, and you have to learn all of the technology behind it. And like Zach was saying, like you have to understand microphones and phasing and all this stuff where we never had to know any of that stuff before we walked into the studio and just did it. And even, even if you're a guitar player or bass player or something like that, sure. You have to learn the equipment, but 
I think drums are significantly harder to get dialed in on your own. Oh, for sure. And, and if you think about it, like you're like, imagine yourself going into the studio and being like, okay, Zach's your engineer for the day. Right. And you're like, <laughs> Zach's been an engineer for, for nine months. Right. You know? Right. And yeah. like, I, I'd be baby. like, I don't want the, I don't want him. Yeah. I'd be like, I don't want him to be my engineer, but now you have to be your, your own engineer and figure this stuff out. And very that, quickly. That can be like intimidating and daunting. Um, but something that kind of reassured me was uh, I interviewed Dan Bailey about six months ago. Um, and uh, he was he said, I, I don't I don't get work because I'm a great engineer. I get work because I am great at engineering my own playing in my room. Mm, that um, makes sense. So it's, you know, it's easy to go down rabbit holes on YouTube or Reddit or whatever, just like trying to learn all the hypothetical um, things that might get thrown at you or that you might be able to do. But I've, I've tried to stay focused on like, okay, I'm, I am working with these mics in this room with my playing with these drums, just like stay focused on that. Um, and, uh, you know, b between that and like another another piece of this whole thing that I don't think people talk enough about is mic placement. So much can be achieved through mic placement, um, you know, before before the sound even hits the DAW. Um, mm. You know, there's or there's, sometimes you take the microphone out of the hole and put it randomly on the front of the face. <laughs> like you you've, been, you've been following my Instagram. I couldn't believe it, man. Jesus Christ. But that's a perfect the best example. part of that is like you're like, it sounds amazing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, like just experimenting, you know, I I I fortunately have had the time to just, you know, experiment with different mic placements, even if it's like, you know moving the snare mic a half inch this way or that. Um, mm -hmm. But like so much, you can, you can do so much EQing just with mic placement. Um, and I would, I would so much rather screw around with mics and drums before I track than screw around with EQ inside the box after I track oh, yeah. chasing overtones yeah. and shit. Um, so yeah, like that, the, the, you know, the, the tuning game combined with the placement game, uh, like I said, with my mics, with my drums in my room is what I'm trying to stay focused on, um, mm -hmm. and not get, not get caught up in too much else. Here's what I'm running into. Like I, I want to play, I want to perform. I want it to be good. I don't want to mess with a lot of shit in, on my laptop, but if I know I've got something I can work with, sometimes I'm thinking, okay, good, I'm done. I'm going to go sit on my back porch, light up a cigar, and just sit there and work on music. <laughs> That's a problem. <laughs> when you figure that out, you let me know. Okay. <laughs> let me know. Well, Nick, I, I remember last time we talked, um, you know, it was, <laughs> it was like right at the beginning of covid um, mm -hmm. but it was kind of a goal of yours at that time to, uh, to play more. Um, mm -hmm. and obviously COVID robbed us all of, of any that, opportunities. That got in the to... way of that. Right. But like, were you, were you able to, uh, d you know, get a practice room going or some kind of studio or, or did your goal yeah. for more playing? Well, yeah. What, what happened there? So I got, um, so the place that we record our podcast is a studio in North Hollywood. Uh, so 
the woman who owns it is, is a friend of mine now. And, and we were at dinner one night and, and I was like something about my drums or something. She was like, you should just set your drums up here and then just come practice here whenever you want. And I was like, are you serious? And she, and we had been nice. drinking wine and stuff. So I like texted her the next morning. I was like, were you serious about that? And she's like, <laughs> yeah, I was like done. I'm bring, I'll, I'll be there in an hour. Uh, so now I have a studio there 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I can go in. So Ugh. it's a, it's a really cool studio. It's it's a little room. It's more of a like a vocal uh, studio, and they do they do some hip hop stuff there. But there's plenty of room for a drum set. Uh, so whenever it's not being used, I can just go in and and uh, and practice. So I've been practicing. I was practicing a lot there. We were. I was just back east for two months uh, visiting family and stuff. But uh, so I I hadn't been in there. But before that, I was in there. I was in there a lot. Um, and so like two of the things. So yes, to answer your question. Uh, been, playing That's more awesome, obviously man. obviously not gigging more um but the two things that i've i've really been working on and and really trying to focus on lately is like one i want to get my hands in in better shape um and two just overall sonic choices so mm. i had the the kit that i have like i'm gonna i think i'm gonna sell that and and change the dimensions of the kit and i just switched uh playing i'm playing different symbols now so i was playing bosphorus now i'm playing zildjian's uh just kind of like digging deeper into vintage, vintage, not necessarily vintage drums, but vintage sounds. Like yeah. all the stuff that I listen to is all old funk and soul stuff. And I'm like, I'm playing on a, I love my kit, but I'm like, I'm playing on a brand new DW kit. And I'm like, it's not, it's just not giving, mm -hmm. giving me the sonic uh, characteristics of like a 1964 Sam Cooke song, you know? Right. Yeah. Um, so like, trying to get sonic stuff and that's that's the main point of like trying to get my hands in better shape because like you were talking about before like big and stupid is like that's how i play <laughs> um so i'm trying you know i want to have more finesse i want to have i i, I want to really explore like playing playing different sonic like understanding better sonic choices and be able to execute those things around the kit uh because that's how i felt like those guys played years ago they weren't like i mean i'm not a chops guy i never have been but like they were making very musical choices and i think that without some level of like proficiency with your hands i can't get there anyway like i feel like those guys just did it naturally yeah for me i need to like think about it a right little bit more and when you say like sense. get your hands in shape i mean you're not you're not talking about being able to play faster more choppy no badass you're talking about kind of the opposite like more nuance yeah. How yeah. are you going to go about yeah, like, that? Man, you know what? I was, while we were having this conversation, I was like, maybe I'll ask you guys. And I was going <laughs> to uh, call, and I was going to call, I was going to call Daniel Glass uh, and talk to him about it. Um, yeah, he'd be good. Really what I, what I've been doing is like, I've been, I've been playing singles, doubles, paradiddles, all that stuff at like 35 beats a minute mm. on a pad. Ooh. And just yeah. like, and it's fucking hard, man. It's really hard to get it. Yeah. You, I mean, playing it in time isn't that hard, but like getting everything to sound uniform and and to really and was the way that I set the metronome up. I set it on sixteenth uh, notes, so I'm really hearing where those subdivisions are, mm -hmm. and I'm just like I'm all over the place with with landing on those subdivisions. And then so I'll take it, I'll go sixteenth notes, and then I'll go quarter notes then i'll go half notes then i'll go whole notes and then i'll go back the other way mm, and mm -hmm. it's hard man yeah dude so there there's a warm-up i've been doing for years it's basically you know start at 60 bpm quarters 
eight, you know, quarters, triplets, eighths, eighths, sixteenth uh, notes, you know, on up, and then back down, move up the BPM by ten clicks, all the way up to a hundred. So if I start at sixty-two, I'm going to end up at a hundred and two, whatever. And but but here's an interesting thing is that you know I've got different. We all have like different practice pads that we use and be able to play on different surfaces. I find I become like a really good practice pad player. Yep. Mm-hmm. But uh, to be able to play on the kit, those same ideas is the difference between being chopsy and being finesse. Yeah. Because uh, not only being able to play like different types of roles and different things like that on a floor tom compared to a snare drum. And what is the snare drum? Is it tuned fat and flat? Is it, you know, tuned up high? So different surfaces. And then you've got volume, you have reaction. Mm-hmm. And um, so one of the ways, and, and Nick, this is amazing. So you have this space and you could probably sit there and doing these do these super annoying things that only a drummer would benefit from by playing just 16th notes at 120 on a real snare drum that's mm-hmm. sometimes hard for me to do in my own house with my family upstairs, right, but right, it's right. something that I need to do on a real drum, and that's the struggle I'm having. So one way to combat that is I have like two different types of uh, practice pads, and I'll just go between the two while I'm warming up so that my hands are getting used to different surfaces. But nice. really, the idea of... Of, of finesse, I believe, comes from doing a lot of those warm-up exercises and those practice exercises on a real drum. Yeah, It's just sometimes hard to do when you have um, limited time to make a lot of noise, if that yeah, makes yeah, sense. Yeah. The other, I, I agree with that. The other thing that I do too, uh, which is like, uh, it's probably the hardest thing for me, is I'll go in and again, I'll set the, I'll set the metronome at like 40 or 50 beats a minute and groove yeah like really try to play a groove and do it for like a half hour (laughs) and it's hard man it's and i'm like because you know you're even if you're playing a slow groove you want to be like they come back to it or something (laughs) yeah yeah, yeah. and i try to i try to just stay there and just grew and like okay where is everything sitting where like how am i hitting the cymbals how am i hitting how am i hitting the toms like Am I playing ghost notes? How are my subdivisions? Like how, like, cause I just want it to feel better. And I look at guys, like I'll look at like Carter or, or uh, like Aaron uh, uh, Sterling or somebody like that. Mm-hmm. And like, fuck, or go back and listen to like James Gadsden and all these guys. And I'm like, why does this feel so good? Mm-hmm. Why does it feel good? And it's like analyzing that kind of stuff and then trying to get that into my playing. And I think it's like, I think most of it is like, is just sonic choices. Well, so it is, when, you, sorry, go ahead, Matt. I just real quick, look at those guys, you know, Carter and, and uh, I'm sorry, who's the other? Uh, Aaron Sterling. Aaron Sterling. Yeah. Look at those guys, look at their face, look at their posture and just like how their attitude. Carter's just so relaxed. Carter McLean, mm-hmm. I'm guessing. Yeah. That's who you're talking about. Yeah. Not I mean, Carter Beaufort? <laughs> <laughs> But, well, gosh, Carter Bofford, too. I mean, like, just this, well, this whole yeah. 
personality and just like because what we're talking about playing slow and and we're talking about it's very much a mental game and staying focused for a long period of time with other things going on and those guys man they not only do they exude a certain amount of confidence but they exude a certain amount of playfulness mm-hmm. and just like i'm having fun and especially aaron man you know he's just like i'm hitting record i'm gonna fucking walk around to this kit and we're just gonna go right he's yep. not like thinking about it he just goes and you're just like oh Oh, I, I, I've been there a couple yeah. times. I yeah. know what he's mm-hmm. doing. Yeah. You're totally, you know. So I, I don't know, man. So That's fun I, to watch. The question I, I have what, for Nick is like when, when you ask yourself, like, why does this feel so good? Um, what, what answers do you come up with? Well, let me rewind a little bit first. So what I, I kind of had this sort of like moment in the mirror where I was like, all right, here's who I listen to, right? I listen to Steve Bowman, who played on the original Counting Crows record. I love totally. playing. But then I listen to James Gadson. I listen mm-hmm. to Steve Jordan. I listen to Steve Gad. I listen to Steve Ferrone. There's a lot of Steves the in Steves. there. The Council um, of Steves. The Council of <laughs> Steves. Um, and so, like I listen to Jeff Beccaro, you know, and I, I, I kind of move people are going to kill me for this, but I move Jeff out of that. And the reason I move him out of that, because I think that he was a different player than the rest of those, than the sure. rest of those. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, mm-hmm. Jeff's one of my favorite pl- drummers of all time too. So like, of I'm course. not saying I'm not putting him down lower. I'm just, I kind of put him in a different area. Um, but I was like, if I listen to all of these guys and I admire what they do, why don't I play like them? Hmm. And then, so then I started thinking about it. I was like, okay, well, my, you know, my drums maybe not tuned the way they are. I was like, I'm overplaying, and then I was like, okay, what kind of cymbals are they using? Uh, what kind of grooves are they playing? What kind of sticks are they using? How, like, what what kind of fills are they doing? Not like I'm trying to cop their style. I'm just thinking like musically, like what are they? How are they interacting with the singer? How are they interacting with the bass player? What oh, yeah. are they? what are they doing inside of their groove that's making it feel so, so good. And what I started to realize is touch, feel dynamics, you know, all of that stuff is like, it sounds stupid, but like when, because it's like, yeah, of course that's what it is, but like really digging into that because I think a lot of us are like, Oh man, it sounds so good. They do all this stuff. And then we get behind the kit and we're like, Oh, I want to play my, my stuff and play all my, like Zach said, like my big dumb stuff. Right. I, so um, what you're what you're talking about, uh, I've I've started to think of all of that under the big umbrella of movement of motion, mm. and uh, I've I've become a little bit obsessed lately with the idea of like how how a given drummer sounds like when you say God it feels so good it sounds so good like it sounds that way because of how that drummer moves. Yes, it's about choices about the particular groove or the particular instruments they're playing but like a drummer's sound i think is just inextricably linked with their movement um so uh you know it it sounds like what you're what you're working on with the the flams and the paradiddles and the slow grooves like those are those are timing exercises but they Mm -hmm. can also be movement exercises and if you're trying to find like a more nuanced touch like think about like how how big can you make your motion like how big and smooth can you make your motion without being louder yeah 
right? Like taking yep. up taking up all the space you have time to take up, um, but still landing kind of softly. You know, the way you want to find this this softer, more nuanced touch. I don't know. Have you ever have you ever seen Daniel's? I don't know if you've ever talked to Daniel Glass about this whole thing where it's like, uh, like he does this exercise where you snap like at you take your arm and you just let your hand your arm drop and snap all the way at the bottom of your of your hand dropping. Mm, yeah, it's it's this snapping exercise and like trying to snap at the very very bottom of where you're where you're dropping your hand, and huh. he gets into this whole thing about just like same deal like movement. Right. Yeah. Like how are you how are you moving and and creating a deliberate stroke or a deliberate, you know, you're deliberately playing these things instead of your body you're you're trying to strike the drum and your body is just moving the way it needs to for you to strike the drum versus I'm moving specifically to strike the drum a particular way. Right. Right. I don't know if that if that is sort of what you're saying. Totally. And you mentioned Gadsden, like the, uh, an example of this that I think of all the time is you've probably seen it that like the, the video of, um, the Bill Withers live thing that Gadsden played. Kiss of my love. love. Holy shit. Like, how does he get that snare sound? Because like he's playing the sticks like three inches off the snare and the hi-hat, but there's so much velocity. Like every one of those strokes is coming from the middle of his body. And even though it's a stroke just this big, it's like, you know, three or four inches, there's so much behind it. There's so much velocity. So it's not loud, but it's just so like powerful and rooted. Um, I can't, I've watched that video a thousand times and I'm like, I don't understand how he gets that snare drum sound out of what he's doing with his hand yeah yeah it's hey y'all i'm not i'm not hip you you tell me again bill withers okay so there's a song kiss him i love they do this live i think it's live at carnegie hall right i think Um, okay yeah so james gadson's on drums and Uh i don't know if you know the groove but it has like this really fat snare part it's like i mean it is like cracking like fast fast shuffle 16th hi-hat um and uh yeah Go ahead, Nick. Awesome, awesome. And while he, if he's not playing the snare drum, the stick is literally laying on the rim of the snare, and he just like he does this like. You know what? I think I've seen it. I think I've seen it. I I think I know what you're talking about because it's where it. But I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna look it up to make sure it's what I'm thinking. Just check it out. It's like the way that he, the way that that snare sounds, and how it cracks, Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. it's not loud. It's just like this solid crack and like it looks like he doesn't even lift the stick right so to me that that snare sound is all about like how he moves because how he's moving is is kind of (laughs) weird you know and and you might not be able to recreate that motion perfectly but if you put yourself in that mentality like i'm gonna think of this stroke coming from you know inside my lungs and out the tip of my fingers, and it's only going to come up about three or four inches off the head. But if I think of it coming from there, and just like the very tip of a whip, um, you know, just like everything you've got into this one short, fast stroke, then your body will like come up with its own version of that thing. Um, and so, yeah, like instead of instead of um, coming at it from the perspective of like the the choices in terms of the instruments or the groove or whatever, if you come at it from the perspective of the motion, like what is his motion and how is it resulting in that sound? 
Um, that's helped me a, a ton, especially in the studio here. Like I talked about sort of lightening up my touch and finding that nuance again. Um, you know, I'll, I'll channel Gadsden or I'll channel, um, I don't know, Glenn Kachi or somebody, um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, just putting myself in that headspace. Yeah, there's a there's a speaking of near Z man. There's a there's an ad he did for Sonar recently, another video, and you watch him move around the kit, and it's really amazing. Like his control of dynamics, even he's moving, ma- making big strokes, but that doesn't mean he wants a big sound. He's just working on creating a rhythm and a dynamic that um, when you watch it. You can almost watch him with the sound off and hear what he's doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. That, you know, and it's interesting. It's, you, it's, it's, it's interesting you make that point because, like, when when you start thinking about like your overall motion, um, there's there's so much more about your sound that your motion affects than just the dynamic, right? Because like we mm-hmm. we we deal in soft and loud all the time, but. Um, there's there's just all kinds of colors in there about like sharp versus soft or fat versus thin or what it, like that you can like I said if you put yourself in a certain headspace in terms of your motion then those different colors and sounds uh, you know the the little shades between soft and loud will will start to come out. Yep. So so here's an idea uh, and this is something that I've been really wanting to do as 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 I'm starting to play again and just kind of reevaluating how I'm I'm playing and and I'm 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 coming through on the other end of like a repetitive stress injury that I'm I'm working through and so it's giving me a chance to like reevaluate my playing and how I want to move forward as things are opening back up and so I used to record a lot and I had a little digital recorder plug it into my mixer and but because of this repetitive stress injury that I'm, I'm working out, I realized that it has a lot to do with motion, it has a lot to do with maybe some old bad habits that have attributed to it. And as I'm coming through it and learning more how to prevent it in the future, I realize it's going to take more than just recording myself audibly. I have to use a visual element mm-hmm. to there as well. So not only can I hear myself but I need to I need to really buckle down and find something to record myself on the site. Not necessarily for so, if I find something for social media that I can use, that's great. But it's right, going right. to be for educational purposes, mm. and so maybe there's going to be that that would be beneficial for all you know for everybody. Yeah, to do as I well. I think so. I use that little um, that little Zoom. What's it called? The SN SN four or something like that. I thought it was the like the HQ two N or some some shit. Your sexy names right y- there. Your problem. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that little the little one that it's called the Q two N. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I use that thing because it's like it's this big, and right. the sound quality is good. You don't have to hook up a mic to it or anything. You can just you know. Really, dial that's down what I the, need to do. Yeah, yeah. And it hooks. They have a little. They have a little stand that you can you can hook it onto a uh, or it has like a little holder, so you can hook it onto a mic stand. And nice. yeah, Steve got that's a piece of gear that we forget. You know, it's like I don't need another crash symbol. I need I need a a camera. Mm. Yeah, and they're cheap. I think they're like, I think the regular the four K one is like two hundred, but I think the regular one is. I don't know, like, I think it's like a hundred bucks. 
Yeah, maybe 150, Dude. something like that. Yeah. Shit. What is, I'm buying one today. Are they, <laughs> it's pretty interesting that they're not the same company as Zoom, are they? I don't think so. I, who knows? I don't know. I don't know. One person's going to own it all one day, so who gives a fuck? Let's ask Jeff Bezos. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, no, I own that. (laughs) That's mine. I own that. That's mine. That's mine. That's mine. Are you guys interested in, in, in bringing up like any notable guests you guys have recently had, you know, over this in recent months or anything like that? Sure. I've had, I mean, like, I, I think about like Josh Harmon for you, Zach. Yeah, um, he was a surprise, man. Um, super, for me, too. Yeah. Uh, Nick, do you know this guy, Josh Harmon? I don't. He uh, is, I don't know. 24 or something and and you know talk about catching lightning in a bottle on social media like he started doing these drums and comedy videos where Mm -hmm. he oh i know exactly who you're talking about yeah yeah um so uh, he you know he's he's just completely blown up on on instagram and mainly tiktok which is just a whole other i tiktok anyway um but (laughs) you know i (laughs) i didn't know what to expect going into that interview, but he was like, he was so, um, introspective and so philosophical, like on the surface, what he does is just total goofballery. Right. I mean, first mm-hmm. and foremost, he's a badass drummer. Like all of, all of the things he's able to do to, to sort of like transcribe and emulate and play along with all of these videos. Um, he's, he's a badass drummer first and foremost. Um, mm-hmm. but, uh, you know, like he also has a background in like improv comedy and doing sketch stuff. And, and so I, I don't know, I expected just a little bit of a goofball interview and I was ready for it, but he was like super, uh, intellectual about it all and, and really philosophical and, uh, a lot of, um, just kind of, uh, you know, much more profound than I expected in terms of sort of life lessons and, and what, uh, how, what what the things that he's done um, have really taught him about drumming and about himself and uh, living life and et cetera. Nice. Yeah, I've 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 actually when you said his name, it didn't ring a bell, but I was like, oh, I watch his videos all the time. On yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think what we're finding is, and, and and Nick, I'm sure you do this too, where you're like, oh, this is gonna be a cool interview. This guy's a great drummer, and blah blah blah. And all of a sudden, it, it takes you someplace else, and you're like. Oh my God! If I wasn't a drummer, I would still listen to that. Yep. And I feel, I feel like a better person after this, and I feel like I'm growing. And you know, it's fun to have this platform, and I feel like we're we're creating something, we're providing something. But also, I feel like I'm the consummate student, and and it's like, man, this was this was a blast. And and yeah. I, I mean, I, I I mentioned that about Mark Stepro, and yeah, that was a funny backstory. Great one you did with Mark Stepro. The the backstory with that and Nick, I I even text you because I listened to your interview with mm-hmm. him uh, as well. And um, is that like I'm the one that worked at the drum store in Ohio and signed Mark up when he was 12 years old for his drum lessons. It's awesome, and it's so crazy at this point in my at this age and this point in my life to be like, 
okay, shit, here's this kid, and now he's in L.A. just destroying. And I'm like, what is going on here? <laughs> but also to be like another one of those people that you're like, man, I wish you lived closer. Let's hang out. <laughs> he's a great dude. Well, and he's Matt, a great dude. like what, something you said in that interview um, that, that really resonated with me was um, – it, it was something about how, like, in in your younger years, you would have been maybe more defensive or more envious yep. about, you know, this mm-hmm. this guy that came up behind you, uh, who's now just like slaying it in L.A. But but like where you are in your life now, you're much more able to just like be happy for that dude and admire that dude and learn from that dude. Um, yeah. and I, I, I yeah. feel, I feel myself sort of, uh, settling into that healthier mindset as, as well. I think the pandemic maybe sapped a little bit of my ambition in a good way, or maybe it sapped a little bit of my insecurity. Like it just brought more clarity to the kind of musician I want to be, the kind of musicians I want to play with. Um, and, and, you know, m- I'm just I feel less susceptible to getting caught up in the the hustle race status uh, image sort of thing. I, think, I feel like I think COVID did that for a lot of people. Yeah, it just kind of had them reevaluate whatever it be. Like you said, playing, you know, who you want to play with, what kind of musician you want to be. But for bigger things like where do I want to live? Do I not want to be with this person anymore? You know, do I want to <laughs> switch oh careers? Yeah. You know, like I think. <laughs> I think there's yeah. a lot of that. Yeah. Speaking I mean, of that, Matt, I, I, we, you and I got to talk after this. <laughs> We're done. <laughs> Dude, well, I guess I, we should tell like... you now. Zach is uh, coming over to Drummer's Resort. <laughs> be... Yeah, fuck you guys, man. <laughs> it's like Skip Bayless. Going I never wanted over. to do this anyways. <laughs> yeah, I never wanted to do it anyway. <laughs> I was pressured into it. Right. right. Well, man. <laughs> I feel like the podcast has done it for me. I mean, like early on, I was having people that were kind of my peers that we were all kind of fighting for some of the same gigs and I felt intimidated by them, and but I didn't really know them and I created this fake narrative in my head because of my insecurities. And then I'm like, hey man, you want to come over to my house and I'm starting this podcast? And they're like, yeah. And then I'd sit down for an hour and a half or so and talk to them and be like, what the hell am I thinking? I, you're a you're a good dude. You're a great player. You struggle with the same things I do, or right. you have your own story. And what am I what am I doing? Like, why am I creating this in my head? And I'm just making myself miserable. And also, over time, there's so much talent out there, and people are making it happen. And it's like it can be daunting at times, but man, there there's there's opportunities you can either buy your own design or by finding it and 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 doing other things to get that work or do what you want to do and it's like somebody said as long as Vinnie Caluda's walking the earth I'm sorry but there's nothing there's nothing you can do right. to make yourself on put yourself on top but it's more it's so much more about that and and really man I've found so much peace in like raising other people up and it's and 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 uh and and also grow as a musician and 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 enjoy music again and enjoy drumming more so again and the idea like being on top is bullshit like there is no on top it's like (laughs) have you have you found your place in the world 
right? Have you yeah, found yeah. have you found your your role in life and in your musical community that fulfills you and in which you're able to fulfill others and you know make yourself invaluable to people you care about? Like on top is bullshit. It's just like yeah, and what's going to happen when you quote unquote get to the top doing something that you didn't really want to do anyway? Right, you're just doing it oh, because yeah, yeah, yeah. Everyone yeah. else is doing that, and then you get there and you're like, oh, this actually isn't really what I want to do. Yep. So that was another thing that Mark Stepro he kind of like alluded to was you know because I was saying oh my phone is almost out of battery he's like oh did we win did we win the internet did we win <laughs> you know it's like this whole I like you could apply that to anything did yeah. we win at podcasting uh oh hold on oops did I lose as you guys his, oh as his phone dies <laughs> yeah I know now I got a weird weird call that came in that was that was messed up oh. no 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 so that so it's like this whole Steely idea. Dan. <laughs> just missed it <laughs> <laughs> leave me alone uh, Donald I'm doing a podcast <laughs> yeah I'm gonna, I'm gonna wanna bump one I'm gonna bump uh, all your songs up by one BPM anyway so <laughs> yeah. you're not gonna want me um <laughs> But, you know, this whole idea is like, oh, did we win at podcasting? Did we win at the internet? Did we win? Like, it's this constant competition. And even my wife, because I'm starting after my interview with Dave Elich and then took a, a lesson from him. I did too recently. Work on my posh. Yeah. And, nice. and, 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 like, I'm trying to do meditation every day. And my wife sat me down and said, look, I realize that for you, a lot of what you do in your life is performative. And it's kind of, you compete with yourself a lot, you know, but when you meditate, it's not a competition. It's not performative. You need to just let it be and mm -hmm. just concentrate. And I was like, oh my God, you're right. And it is about a mindset, you know, and it is, it's not about, and there's so much that in the world that makes us look at drumming and music as a competition and we need to start letting that go, mm -hmm. yeah. And you know, and enjoy it for what it is, um, yep. because it, we're just—I think—we're sabotaging ourselves when we think of it too much as a competition. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, some of the, touching on some of the stuff that you had talked about about the competition, but then also sort of the did we win? And and we all have these goalposts of like things we're trying to achieve or that we're, quote unquote we're trying to like get there. Uh, and a lot of the stuff that I've been doing, especially in the last like six to nine months, is really just really trying to be a lot more present, which which sounds sort of like cheesy and esoteric. But like the uh, I went to a therapist and I was like, I was like, I'm really freaking out about getting old. <laughs> right. And I was like, I feel like my life, like I feel like years are just like flying by. Mm -hmm. And he was like, and I mean, this was after a few conversations with him, but he was like, yeah, because you live either. He was like, you live in the future hmm. and you don't live hmm. in, you don't live in the current time. And, you know, like it's sort of like when you're, you're chewing food and you're already thinking about your next bite kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And so what I've been really trying to do is even like, I have a reminder on my phone every hour that just says be present. And, and for 15 seconds, I'll just sit there and like kind of look around and, you know, like look out the window or whatever. And it sounds, it sounds very small, but once you want, and when I see that notification and I, decide whether I want to take those 15 minutes or 15 seconds and, and, uh, and be present. Or if I don't, then you're like, Oh, this is all, everything in life becomes a choice and you you're choosing to do these different things. And it's helped, man. It's really like, 
it's really helped me sort of slow down and just and and be here like the only thing that exists is the present Mm -hmm. that's it yeah and it's like like you were having this conversation and like i could be sitting here on my phone and then it's like well then i'm not here right i'm somewhere else I'm, i'm just not i'm not and i'm trying to just live in the i'm sure plan for the future and all those things but like you can't live in the future you can't you know you can't you can't be like well i'll be happy when i get this gig or when my studio is finished being set up or when i achieve this thing or when i this or that and it's like yeah i and i think that the the crazy thing i had this this kind of fucked up but i had this dream that i died right <laughs> and and uh and, but i mean whatever i or i guess yeah i guess i i died in the dream um but I woke up the next day and I was like, so all these things that like I want to accomplish or I'm trying to compete with other people with and all that kind of stuff. I'm like, none of that mattered because now I'm dead. Right. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, but then it's like, so I was willing to just be unhappy every single day. Yeah. Until I achieve this thing. And then like, so if you never achieve that thing, it's like, you're making a, you're making an agreement with yourself to be unhappy sort of every day yeah. and live in like this world of like, I'll be I'll be happy when or I'll be fulfilled when you know I know this is deep but like I think that no 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 man it's it's about lifestyle it's not it's not an end goal because again this kind of circles back to the thing that I was saying before like man when we get when I get enough recording equipment and like can you imagine if we could record all this stuff when we were kids and now we have it and I have this realization it's like okay I've met this goal what does it mean for me it doesn't mean more happiness no it it does mean like now how do I evaluate that but it didn't meet that expectation that I had created in my head that once I own this thing, once I accomplish this thing, I'll feel this way. And that's not what happened. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I was surprised at, um, like when all the gigs went away, I was kind of surprised at how little I, I missed it. Um, and, Mm -hmm. and, Mm -hmm. and I, you know, I know that not every musician, shares this experience i think most musicians were just like fucking devastated and rightfully so um but you know just talking about being in the present like it put me in this mindset of like okay what i what i love doing is gone um but what else what else can i do and i found um you know presence and purpose and joy in um a lot of well, not a lot of different things, just my life got smaller, right? I, we were just staying home and I'm super fortunate to live with someone that I fucking love and we have a dog that we love and we have a house that we love. Um, and it just forced me to be more present and, and realize how little I actually need to be happy. Um, and so now that, you know, we're kind of reemerging, um, I'm, I think I'm looking with a clearer eye about things that I yes. could, things that I could do. Like, is that, uh, you know, is, is that really what I want? Is this thing that I could do really what I want or should I just sort of let that go by and, mm-hmm. you know, not, not fuck with it. Um, did that, did that mess with you at all where you were, where did you feel, because I've, I've had similar feelings like this before, where did you feel guilty that you didn't miss it? A little Were bit. Like- I think I, I had some survivor's guilt because, um, <laughs> you know, I like 
I'll just I'll just be honest about it. I mean, we're we're very fortunate to be like okay financially. Like we did not right. have to scramble. I got I got some unemployment insurance. You know, my my wife's job actually got busier. She was working from home mm-hmm. before the pandemic, so you know, her job was never in danger. Um so, you know, I always kind of add the caveat that like I especially among musicians, I think I'm in a very privileged position uh that i wasn't wiped out and we didn't have to stress too hard you know i, I can, you're you stayed healthy yeah totally fuck yeah um you know i continued to teach via zoom um so that was still some income my church gig continued for a long time they were just recording remotely or uh you know live streaming a, a, a service with an empty um uh sanctuary so, you know, my, I had a couple of in, income streams that continued um, and I had a great house and a great wife and, you know, a great life to just sort of like hibernate in for a year. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I did feel some some guilt about that. Um, uh, and it was it was it was weird because like, you know we define ourselves by what we do for better or for worse. And it was just kind of a realization that like, you know, Oh, I, I'm, I'm not, I'm not out there gigging. Um, but I'm, I'm not miserable. And I think the fact that I wasn't miserable came from my previous insecurity because like when everybody's out there, you're on Instagram and it's like, Oh, holy shit, he's doing that to her. Oh, holy shit. He's in this studio, blah, blah, yeah. blah. But then when nobody's doing anything, <laughs> it's like, cool. It kind of made me feel better about not gigging. Too. Absolutely. <laughs> but then, but no, Zach, this is great. So then like, as things are happening now, you can see through that lens yep. when you see stuff on Instagram and all that stuff, you're like, yeah, good, cool. Well, I'm I'm good. I'm doing yeah. my thing. Yep. Yeah. And it's and it's cool too, uh, dude. I I totally get that. Yeah. I yeah. think that I I love that. Uh, I talked to Chris Layton from Double Trouble, and he said he was like, "I'm a drummer. It's what I do, but it's not who I am." Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he's I'm, like, I'm, "I'm a." Yeah. I always like I'm a person. I do that. Like I know you know Zach. Like we've talked about it before. Like Zach loves to cook, and he has all the. It's like. That's that's great. Mm-hmm. You know, like there's there's other aspects of your life. And it's like, this is what I do. Like, I don't think anyone's out there like, oh, that marketing person got this other director of marketing job at this other company. And, you know, like, I don't think they're comparing themselves that way. Like like we do as, right. as drummers. or No, it's really in interesting. But I but I, but at the same time, you know, and I remember you saying that I think it was Mar- even in Mark Stepros, but one of your interviews, you, you brought that up about um, about him and. It, I always find it interesting, like when I'm flying and I'm sitting next to somebody and say you strike up a conversation in the past, I would always try and wait as long as I could to if somebody said, well, what do you do for a living? Uh, and I would always try and push back as long as I can, because as soon as you tell them what you do, all they want to do is talk about it because it's such yeah. a mystery to them. <laughs> and I'm like, you know, there's more to me than this. Now, there was a time in my life I'll admit that, yeah, fucking A, man, I play the drums, yeah. I do this, this. Right, right. Yeah, but now I'm like, no, I, I have I have other things that, no, I I do, and I, but but again, that 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 is what we're talking about right now is something that we wrestle with internally and personally, mm-hmm. um, that that it's because like the it with again bringing back like my arm and the stuff that I'm I'm dealing with, it's like I've had to reevaluate. It's like, well, shit, what if like I can't play anymore? 
what does that leave me? Mm -hmm. You know, and have, have I wrapped up so much of my identity into music and drumming? And so I've had to really ask myself some tough questions about who I am and uh, how much uh, music and drumming uh, is a part of my identity. And if that gets taken away, where does that leave me? Mm -hmm. You know, f mentally and and all that stuff. And that that's been. That's not been easy. Honestly. Sure. I would imagine that there's a lot of people who have wanted to not play anymore huh. or not yeah. tour anymore and things like that, but couldn't Feel get the pressure over too. Yeah. Couldn't get over the fact that like, well, this is who this is who I, I who I am. This right. is what I identify. I'm a drummer. Right. And if I don't do that, then then who am I? It's like an internal yeah. obligation to hustle, whether it's hustling on social media or hustling in the sense of like putting your fucking drums in your car again to go play yeah. some $75 gig that you're yeah. not. And what if play. I go and do something else? Like what's everyone going to say? Right. Right. Well, what if I go get a job somewhere? Like what are, is someone, you know, well, I've seen like things firsthand. There was a group I started working with last year and like the keyboard player that with that band, his wife, they, they had a baby and he's like, you know, I'm, I'm not going to do these gigs anymore. Uh, I'm going to, you know, she's got a great job and I'm just going to like take some time off and the rest of the, and so I started working with them and he, he stopped playing and they were like, yeah, I don't know what the fucking deal is, man. He's like, he just doesn't want to do these gigs anymore. And they were just bitching about him not wanting to do it and they couldn't understand. And I'm like, so so if I didn't want to do this gig, this is how I'd be treated? Or this is how you right. would talk about me behind my back? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and I'm like, first of all, I really don't care. But then part of me is like, wait a minute, do I care? And it's like, what does that say about what where my head is? Right. Well, I was going to say, see me. Matt, like, you know, obviously you, you have to um, sort of reckon with the, the fear of you know, drumming being taken away from you at some point for some reason. But I, I think it also serves to um, even further clarify uh, like what you want to do as a drummer, because there's, there's like a middle ground, like maybe um, you, you know, uh, maybe drumming doesn't get taken away from you, but maybe physical limitations make it so that you, you can't be out there six nights a week, uh, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. slamming on, on lower Broadway. Um, so, mm -hmm. so that forces you to like choose and prioritize. It's like, it's like when you're on a diet, like what is going to be worth the calories? Am I going to shove yeah. random cookies in my face for no reason? Oh yeah. Or am yeah. I going to sit down and enjoy something fucking amazing? Um, yeah. And that's already happened. And that's our, and, and fortunately there's been some uh, road things that have afforded me the opportunity to not take some of the physically demanding in town things, yeah, yeah. but no, you're right. And Zach, you even, I like, think talking to you about it, you're like, but do you, could you need, could you just take some time off? Do you need to do this? Cause it, you know, is it, is it taking more away from you in the long run? So yeah, I've really had to reevaluate that stuff. And, but that's been, and that, that's a whole nother conversation, uh, you know, a whole nother time for that. But, uh, so it's been interesting, man. And, and I think that has a lot to do with 2020 and how we're all evaluating those things and, um, you know, just being real with ourselves and, and, uh, and the different personalities we meet through mm -hmm. the podcast and how it asks uh, makes forces us to ask a lot of, of these questions ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. You know? I think that, that that's when a lot of the I that's really changed my my perception of everything doing all of these podcast episodes where you start to realize that everyone's just doing the most of the guys are just like doing the shit that they want to do and and they're not you know they're not trying to impress anyone or they're not doing anything 
to appease other people, they're like, yeah, I don't want to do that thing anymore. So I don't do it. Right. It's like, cool. Yeah. I mean, I, I, and I felt, uh, we talked about this before, but I felt guilty about it too. Like I, I don't want to go play a four and a half hour cover gig at a bar for a hundred dollars. I just don't want to. Yeah. I'm like, if that makes me less of a, of a purist yeah. or less of a drummer or less of a musician, yeah. then so be it. It but doesn't, it makes you more of an adult. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> no, oh, the caveat know. is the caveat is though, I would go play a four hour cover gig with three of my friends. Yes. For free. Yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah. That's exactly and like, right. That's, and would love it. Yep. And, and I didn't, I didn't mean to like shit on everybody who does four hour cover gigs for a hundred bucks because they, they, no, they definitely no. have their place, especially if you're doing it with your friends and you're having fun and the music is well, good. Like, you know, but just take, it like, depends. Take so it if you're 20, if you're 23, 24, 25, hold on. Actually, let me, before this gets out of control and people are like, what the, f <laughs> I think that when you're, when you're younger, when you're in your twenties, right. Sometimes you just don't have a choice and you're like, this is the only gigs I can get. Take those gigs, and right. play those yeah, gigs. Right. Yeah. I'm not saying that. The other thing is if you're, if you're in a position where either you need to go out and play these gigs, then A, I think you should, or B, if you're like, I really like playing four hour gigs at a bar mm -hmm. for a hundred dollars, mm -hmm. then go yeah. do it. Mm -hmm. My point yeah. is that if you are, if, if, you know, if you're 35, 40, 45, and you're like, I don't really want to play these gigs anymore, but I feel like I have to, then don't go play them. Mm -hmm. That's all. Yeah. yeah. Like yeah. do the thing that makes you happy. Don't do the thing that like, other people tell you you should do right no it's re it's really and, and you know it's like uh, lower playing lower broadway gigs in nashville is like the poster child for all this stuff and it's it's a great <laughs> place to you know it and here's what's coming up I, before the pandemic i was planning like this round table of because there's a lot of especially young people that are moving to nashville that are interested in that scene and it can be a really great scene for meeting people for making good money and you know some drummers have come away from it getting great gigs i mean gosh matt billingsley with taylor swift i mean he started out down there bands like lady annabelle they started out down there and mm -hmm. different things like that so there are stories and there are people that still hubert payne uh still plays down there just to kind of keep his chops up you see him down there slugging away and he's got a great road gig and he's a wonderful player so i mean there's all kinds of examples so to shed some light on on that and why people do it and why people do some of these gigs that seem like not great gigs and some of them are really shitty and some of them aren't good but we're going to do a round table of that now nice. that things are back up and swinging just yeah, as, nice. and, and to, as to, an aside to backpedal even a little bit more like i i think if if you're going to take those gigs take them for the right reasons don't right. don't take them That's for, it. like don't take a gig for taking a gig's sake Right. Like if yep. there's if nope. there's if there's something about that gig that you're like, I can, you know, uh, I, I want to do this gig because like take it for that reason. Um, yeah. And yeah. and then after you take the gig, like don't don't bitch about it. Like you took the gig for a reason. Go after that oh, reason. God. Find that reason and come home oh. with that reason attained. Right. Yeah. Well, it's and like what I want to do it again. Like, you have yeah. a choice. Yeah. Yep. yep. Totally. If, if I always say that, man, if if you say yes, don't bitch, mm -hmm. do it, and if say you're like this was not good. If the person calls you again, politely turn them down or yep. whatever, yep. but Bobby, don't take it again. Good God, I Bobby mean, Watson told me you are not too good for any gig you say yes to. 
Yep. That's <laughs> it's the truth. Yep. It's the truth. <laughs> We're running out of time, and I got to run, boys. All right. Well, this well, has been awesome. As always. Hey yeah. guys, this was great. No, <laughs> this was very fun. <laughs> it was a, it was a, it was a. Uh, this was a positive was a, emotional experience. I was gonna say it was a. What was it? A hella pissa? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. No, it was a wicked pissa. It was a wicked pissa. Yeah, it was a wicked pissa. Hella, you've been yeah. in LA too long already. I haven't. <laughs> After I said it, I was like, that can't be right. <laughs> well, good to see you both. Likewise, you too. There you go. Big thanks to our friend Nick Ruffini. Always enjoy catching up with him. Next week, Matthew Krause will be talking with Jim White. Jim is an alumnus of North Texas, the Maynard Ferguson Band, and the Nashville scene with artists including Pam Tillis, Jerry Douglas, and J.D. Souther. Jim currently teaches at the University of Northern Colorado. Should be some great stories there. I hope you check that out. And until then, stay safe, get vaxxed, and thanks for listening. Cheers. Cheers.